Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Activate podcast brought to you by Remerge. I am Tommy, your host, as always. I'm very excited for today's episode because it is the first episode in which I have a returning guest. I say at the end of like all of the podcast episodes I do, hey, we should have you back sometimes and genuinely mean it. And thankfully, in this case, we actually got one of the past guests to come back on the podcast, share some additional insights. This is a person who has a ton of knowledge, a ton of expertise, who I am truly excited to reinvite back to the podcast. So without further ado, today's guest is Christian Eckhart, who is the co-founder and CEO of Customlytics. Christian, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tommy, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be back. Also happy to be the, the first one to be back. Obviously, uh, pretty exciting for me as well. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to having yet another nice talk with you. Your first episode with us was number 25. And we are at podcast, we are just over about 50 episodes now. So it's probably been around 25 weeks since we last spoke. So how are things at Customlytics? How's life? All right, I would say. That's probably the, the best word to put it. No, I think we like we have coped with everything so far. I think pretty all right. Everybody's healthy, including the business. Actually managed to continue to grow through the crisis, adding people to the team. So by now we're 20, I guess probably by the time that we spoke last, maybe around 50% of that, maybe slightly more. So yeah, 20 people now, um, still based here in Berlin, still doing mobile marketing stuff, which is the, the stuff that we love. But yeah, all in all, I think we're doing well. Congrats. It's rare to hear companies adding headcount during the pandemic that, that occurred globally. Any particular reason why you think Customlytics was able to be successful during the whole pandemic? First and foremost, definitely going back to our like fully digital business model, which is consulting and hands-on support for all things around mobile marketing. Even more so, though, I think it's the fact that the same applies for all of our clients, essentially, because all of our clients have some kind of customer-facing app or several of them in the stores, meaning that they have digital products in the majority of cases. And I think we were in the, in the lucky position that none of them really got into financial troubles or is in a vertical that is in financial trouble now, which is, I guess, in the end, just the combination of clients and the fact that we have, I guess, from the beginning managed to get some big names on board, like Deutsche Telekom, who is actually doing pretty all right in the crisis because people still need internet. Big surprise, probably even more than before. But also like other clients, when you think about Audible with their audiobooks, well, that's something that is actually doing pretty well in the crisis. So I think, yeah, that that's probably the secret sauce is just the combination of industries that we're in. Yeah. Industries that you're in and expertise that you guys provide, right? It's got to be a confluence of the two, which is fantastic. Can you tell me, because you're based in Berlin, what are things like in Berlin right now, right? I come from the perspective of the States and a lot of our listeners do, where obviously the coronavirus has not improved, unfortunately, tragically, some could say. What does the working environment look like right now in Berlin? Are things opened up? It's actually pretty much back to normal, which is a bit creepy, I would almost want to say. I think just this morning in our like company ride, Monday morning stand up, I think I said, like, I do the usual Corona updates, which is updating people on what's going on with that. And I think I said something like, well, it's a bit weird. Germany or probably even more so Europe is like this weird 
island where everybody behaves like almost perfectly normal and like case numbers are pretty low and, and everything's pretty all right. But then outside of that island, like the world is on fire with like new record highs in terms of infections. So it's a bit weird. It doesn't quite feel right. But like over here in Berlin, it's pretty much back to normal. People are outside. You can visit shops, of course, wearing a mask. You can, I guess by now, do gatherings up to like a thousand people or so. So yeah, things are pretty much back to normal. Which is weird because, again, like if you look around, then nothing is quite normal. I know exactly what that feels like because I'm in Boston, right, where our infection rates are incredibly low now, right? Where a month ago, we were getting 5,000 new infections a day. If you look, maybe yesterday there was 100, right? So it's still not awesome, but it's a massive improvement. So things are opened up here, right? But if you were to go down, take a two-hour plane ride to Florida, you'd get a completely different case. So it is strange being in the US and it's also kind of surreal at times. But in any case, I'm happy to hear that Customlytics was able to thrive through the pandemic, that hopefully everyone or at least the very vast majority of, of your team stayed safe through the pandemic. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that things are opening up in Berlin again. In any case, let's get into kind of the meat of the conversation here today, right? So last time we chatted, I believe the predominant subject matter in that case was around building a mobile marketing tech stack, right? And some of your advice on how to effectively go about that process. I'm curious, we're removed from that episode and it's been a while since we chatted. What's something that you've been thinking about a lot, either since then or just in general, something that's been top of mind to you as a marketer in this space that's a key kind of theme for you? I guess there's a couple of things going on and there's also like, I mean, we are in a very interesting industry with like mobile and there's stuff changing all the time. Think about the recent announcement from Apple about the IDFA and everything. But I guess if I would have to name one thing that's kind of at the top of my mind, then I would say it's the rise and the spread of dynamic product ads or DPA, which is essentially automating your paid advertising to show the best performing products that your business has on offer. I think this is in a nutshell the story. And the reason why I think that's so interesting also in, in current times is that for me, this is like a very much in like a, almost like an analogy of how the role of a traditional marketing manager is evolving over time, which if, if you think back to the times when, when I started in mobile marketing together with, with the guy that's still my co-founder, I was in 2013 sitting at, at Delivery Hero, also here in Berlin, doing the performance marketing for the German brands. And if you think about what we did back then versus what we see now as kind of the day job of a mobile marketing manager, this is like very different, very different place that we're in right now. And I think the shift towards automating your advertising campaigns is just like increasing in speed. I think it's just picking up in velocity, really. So that kind of gets me excited, not in the sense that I think robots are taking over the power in the world, which they probably will at some point. But no, I think it's the combination of like smarter algorithms, smarter machines, and then the human being, which is still in the equation of successful performance marketing campaigns, being able to focus on other stuff because I don't have to sit in front of my dashboard every day anymore to increase that bit for like five cents for whatever keyword. So this is kind of what gets me excited about it. Human beings focusing on other stuff. This has been a theme that we've explored at some points in this podcast. And it's largely centered around that concept that you mentioned, right? And that tends to come from the fact that Google and Facebook are, for all intents and purposes, predominantly automated platforms at this point, right? UAC, Apple, or and Facebook has automated algorithms, all that. When you say marketers should be focusing on other stuff or this 
automation liberates them to focus on other stuff. You talk predominantly about creatives and DPA. What does a marketer's role look like within that context, right? How are they working in this automated world to effectively leverage creative and DPA to impact their growth initiatives? I do agree strongly with the way that you put it with like, it's like liberating the marketing managers to focus on other stuff because let's face it, I don't know anybody that was enjoying the time when you were sitting in front of your Google AdWords dashboard <laughs> and you were increasing the bits manually for like 127 keywords every day. Like, I don't know anybody that, that was like enjoying that time. So uh, first of all, I strongly agree with putting it in a way that it's actually freeing up time so that you can do other stuff. And I think that other stuff will essentially be two main categories of tasks that are kind of left, if you want to put it like this, for the human being. Number one is something that is, well, it's essentially the, the, oxy the oxygen for the machine to then kind of really work with the data. That's the technical infrastructure. So you need a well-versed marketing manager to put in place the technical infrastructure to even enable automated advertising as in dynamic product ads. And when I say technical infrastructure, I mean stuff like, oh, you have to go there and make sure that your app is supporting deep links so that the user can get redirected straight to the product page of the product that you're advertising. There has to be a product catalog. It has to follow, and that's kind of a file, it has to follow certain requirements from Google, Facebook, and, and all the others. There has to be user signals. Without user signals, the machine will be have a pretty hard time figuring out what's a good user and what's not. So you have to go there and make sure that your tracking is correct, that you're tracking the events, you're tracking the purchase and the way to the purchase of whatever e-commerce app, let's say, uh, you're the marketing manager for an e-commerce app. That has to be done and that it has to be implemented by a human being. A strategy has to, like you have to come up with strategy. What's my target group? What's my segments? Who are the people that I want to reach out to? In the basic form, things like people that installed the app but then didn't make a purchase the very common pattern across all, all e-commerce apps. This kind of thing still has to be put together by the marketing manager. So that's kind of the one meter category of tasks that I think are left. And then the second one is something where the humans are actually kind of already competing with machines, but are still kind of still superior, I would think. And that's the creative side of things. Not so much the kind of doing this or that tweak on their creative template or anything, but they're coming up with like really groundbreaking new creative concepts of advertising banners in the easy way. This is something that I think will still be with the marketing manager, um, iterating this, understanding what users want to see, what makes them click. This is, I think, something that the human beings will still be very much involved with. Later on, kind of figuring out uh, smaller incremental improvements on a creative concept. That's something where the machine can be helpful again, because then you can do tests. You can A-B test stuff, but really coming up with groundbreaking new creative ideas, this is something that I still see very much on the side of the human being. So those kind of two meta categories, the technical infrastructure and the creative side. That is a lot to unpack, but it's super insightful and helpful all around. What I'm curious about, right, you have the unique perspective of working at Customlytics, which is an organization that provides marketing services and consulting services for a variety of brands. And you mentioned some of them at the beginning of this conversation. Now, I don't need you to name any specific brands at all, but I'm curious to know, in your experience, have you found that 
most apps are set up technically to execute against DPA in the manner that you described to me, which is essentially you need a product feed, you need deep linking for a solid customer experience, you need to pass product information through your MMP, et cetera. Have you found that most of your partners are technically competent in these facets? Uh, no. Easy answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that is, right? It's not about me, the podcast. I say this a lot, but I have the same exact experience as you, right? I work in retargeting. And for us, these are like, if you're an e-commerce brand, you got to do these things, right? It's so very obvious from my perspective. Why? Why do you think marketers and brands haven't set up their apps with these technical requirements yet? I guess because it's difficult. It's genuinely difficult. It's also not something that, I mean, of course, you can read a lot on this by now on the internet and a couple of players in the game are trying to tell you how it's done. Problem with that is that it's always biased. And then if you read the documentation of Facebook, then big surprise that it will be biased towards Facebook. I think the main reason is just because it's difficult. The second one following along with that is a bit that in, I think some companies are still getting away without it, if you kind of un, like know what I mean. Like the same scenario that you have with the big corporates who fail to kind of accept change or like change as a company, and then at some point just go down. Similarly, I think a similar thing is going on with some marketing managers who were in the past just getting away with not doing it, having the static advertising stuff going on. I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, it's not rocket science, but... I think right. I think it's also not trivial if you, you know have to think about all the different aspects that I've already mentioned. So I guess yeah, primarily it's because it's difficult. But then when you continue that thought a bit, then you also get to the realization that there's actually no way around it really. Especially if you're not just talking about dynamic product ads, but if you're talking about let's say less control, less transparency, more automation in the paid advertising world say Google App campaigns, say the direction that Facebook's developing to, with essentially, oh, drop in those five creatives and then start a campaign, we will do the rest. I mean, we're seeing this shift towards automation. And I think, sadly, that the people that are not kind of jumping on that bandwagon now will be kind of left behind, or it will be a bit more difficult for them to make it through. And part of the argument is also that they're incurring costs and time to develop 20 static ads when they should instead invest in developing a strong DPA strategy, right? Like your consumers in your app are telling you essentially through their actions what a creative should look like, right? Because they're buying products, they're interacting with certain characters in a game, they're constantly behaving in ways that should drive your creative strategy, right? And I think that's part of your argument is you can save time, money, and resources by developing a strong DPA infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Like, Big time. I mean, it's not just that you're saving money because you don't have to do the other like manual nasty stuff. It's also that the ads will typically, I mean, there's a reason why people are doing dynamic product ads outside of the whole part that it's less efforts. And that's because the ads just perform better. So you're also kind of having a gain in efficiency on the advertising side. If you think back to the, what's the alternative, which is this scenario where I have the weirdest stuff going on with, let's assume you have a media agency and then they ask you for new creatives every week because creators wear out quite quickly. And then you have to create new ones again. You have to roll them out. If you are a product-based business, which I guess a lot of your listeners will be, if you are a product-based business, then you also end up having a ton of static ads all the time if you want to promote like different products, which all have to be created manually. 
if there's a brand department, which will be the case in bigger companies, you have to deal with them all the time because they want to sign off all those banners that you like manually had created just to end up in the same kind of spiral of ad wear out where then the uh, click-through rates are going down over time and you have to fire in new creators and new creators and new creators all the time. It's not just that DPA is like this nice idea and that you can try it. It's also really that, that like the alternative is pretty terrible. The alternative is also not scalable in the long run, right? Like eventually the amount of time and resources that takes up and the inefficiencies you really can't scale up some of your growth marketing initiatives unless you automate these processes. I think it's part of your argument, right? So that's the first component of this, right? And that's the technical readiness that you're really suggesting organizations need to spend more time on, especially as you know some of the major platforms we leverage become more and more automated. The second component of this, and one of the advantages that you had mentioned around this liberation of time, we can call it, is that humans tend to have the edge over robots or AI or whatever you want to call it when it comes to creativity. And you had mentioned this frees up our time to come up with groundbreaking ads and creative strategies. I'm curious, when you think about groundbreaking creatives and ads, what does that process look for you? How does a business go about making groundbreaking ads? Are they looking at the metrics and CTRs and just trying to iterate against that? Or is the idea when you're thinking about groundbreaking creatives to throw away the playbook and just try a bunch of things that are super weird and out there almost it's the latter it's really the crazy stuff because if there's one golden rule in any a b test that you could potentially ever run with your advertising then it's that with small changes you will also only see like small changes in the creatives you will also only see small changes in the performance or like in the test results to a point where it kind of becomes, oh, and then we're iterating, I don't know, this or that button color. And then like the result is somewhere in the uh, zero point something percentage change. So realistically, it's really the crazy stuff. The, let's start from scratch, come up with something completely new that you then test. And then you will see if that was a good idea or maybe it's also a bad idea. And then you test the next thing. But it's like the golden rule is always that small iteration, like small iterations is what you want to do once you have found a new concept that works. Then you want to iterate that to a point to make it even better. And then at some point you will throw it away again to start with something new. But it's definitely not the road to creative success to like never start over again and just do endless incremental changes on the teeny tiny bits and pieces. Do you have any examples of like an ad creative that, maybe you thought would never work, but actually did work in the end? That may have been in this realm of like really weird and out there, or not even weird and out there, just like different than what you had been doing for a while? Yeah, I think I have one. When you put together the question that instantly came to my head, it's not even so much about, well, it was a groundbreaking new concept, but it was also just yet again proof that cliches just work in marketing. So following scenario, let's say a gaming client is around and that game is essentially an app where you have mini games. So it's like um, multiplayer, but it's like, I don't know, 10, 15 different games in one app. Problem with marketing this for user acquisition was always that the games in itself are very different. And we knew from the data that there are some games that are predominantly only played by men, throwing out the cliche, I don't know, the tank game. And then there was other games that were predominantly played by the women. I don't know, insert cliche, whatever you like, unicorn game, whatever. And 
However, the advertising that the client was doing was always generic in the sense that it wouldn't cater for that difference. And when I say generic, it was like we tested different things. It was not always just like, hey, let's put all the games on one banner and there we go. We tried different things. We tried different combinations of games to be promoted on the app install kind of advertising banner. Performance was not great until we started with, again, very cliche-based advertising based on the targeting options that are available on Facebook, which is gender, amongst many others. And we were starting to show the games where we knew that it was primarily men playing them to male audience with a creative that was really focused on this kind of the games that we knew male people would like. And then secondly, we started with a, and that was the groundbreaking one, we started with a completely different set of creatives, only promoting the games that we knew that women would like. I mean, obviously, very different design, very different focus, try different things, carousel, other ones, and only use that for that female audience. Well, results were kind of through the roof. I think something like uh, 10 times better than the generic stuff. Wow, that's awesome. And it's like, I wouldn't necessarily define that as wow, that's such a weird idea, right? Or like, hey, that's super out there in terms of your thinking. That's just a strong example of saying, hey, instead of throwing generic, just add with everything available, let's just think a little bit more about how we can customize this whole process, right? And that almost to me hits at a core topic that I've thought about a lot, which is even though some businesses aren't necessarily set up for DPA with the technical infrastructure that you laid out earlier, there are still ways to communicate with target audiences in a more sophisticated manner, right? And that is to say, for example, right, if you're an e-commerce app and you don't have a full product feed set up, you should still have a decent idea of, all right, what are my top 10 selling items, right? Or what are my top 10 selling items, even by geo? And those should be the items that you're potentially advertising within that space, right? And that sounds like kind of what you guys did here with this game, right? You said, all right, what are our top games, by gender and let's advertise accordingly. And then obviously, like you said, that drove 10x kind of results for you, which is fantastic. That's a ton of, of information right there alone on how we can think about creatives in a more intelligent way and in a more intuitive way. And obviously you guys are seeing a fair amount of success with this. You brought up something at the beginning of this call, which in fairness, I'd feel remiss if I didn't touch on. And it's something that I actually because it's so new, it hasn't been something that I even really touched on at all in this podcast. And that is the announcement from Apple regarding the IDFA. I don't want to dive into the subject too, too much right now, but I am curious to get your thoughts on the subject, how you think it might change marketing and kind of what the prevailing thoughts are maybe in Berlin on this subject of what's the changes that are coming with iOS 14. Maybe I start with briefly explaining in one sentence to the listener that, that hasn't read the news yet. Um, what's going on. So Apple essentially announced that um, starting with iOS 14, which is coming out this fall, so fall 2020, the presence of the advertising, the identifier for advertising, IDFA on iOS devices will require an active consent from the user, just like we know from push notifications or GPS location. So when the app wants to fetch the IDFA, which is the case for any app that is using either any kind of attribution tracking right now to measure where insults are coming from or is running ads, of course, what that will, what that will require is this active prompt and the user kind of accepting that the IDFA is being collected by this app, which if you think back a bit is essentially almost making limited ad tracking 
which is nulling out the IDFA, the standard, unless a user willingly accepts to have the app uh, fetching his IDFA. And when we now think about what's going on with this, a lot of things will go on. I think we have to separate two things. There is the technical aspect to it, which is interesting and which has a lot of implications for all the tracking providers in the game. Well, essentially just everybody that was making use of this advertiser identifier in the past. And then probably even more interestingly, it is the question of, oh, but what's the agenda of Apple behind all of this? That's a completely different kind of question. So let's maybe start with the technical side. So from a technical perspective, what will happen is that if nobody changes anything, what's going on when you start asking users for active consent for anything, um, the opt-in rates go down. Let's put it like this. I think nobody can tell at the moment to which kind of uh, percentage that will happen, but it will be pretty terrible. Especially if you think about the example that Apple was using for the text, which was like, yeah, uh, hey, are you willing to share that with everybody in the internet? Question mark. <laughs> so tools have to change, tools in the market, and also the advertising industry will change. Because in the past, despite the fact that you could already opt out from it, but in the past, the advertising identifier or the Google Play Store ad ID, which is the Android counterpart, was the dominant identifier in the advertising industry for mobile apps, like period. Everybody was using it. It's what Facebook was using to tell you that they've made this or that install when you're using an attribution tool. It was just a dominant identifier. And we have to accept the reality where this is kind of going away. And then the question is, what will happen instead? And you can look at the countless blog posts by the all the self-proclaimed mobile marketing influencers, all of them trying to foresee the future. And then in five years from now, some of them will say, oh yeah, but I've told you so. And the other 95% will be wrong. But what's more interesting, I think, is to see what the tech tools are saying. So the tracking providers and everybody else that's kind of in the industry affected by it. And they're all saying that, oh, well, do we have to come up with something else then? And I think this is exactly what will happen without knowing at this point, how it will look like, I'm very sure that we will, like, it's not the end of mobile advertising as we know it. It will change. A lot of things have to change from the media buying process to the tracking, data collection side of things. A lot of things will change, but I'm pretty confident that we will come up with something. Some tracking providers now kind of diverting into this direction of, okay, well, then we use other, other identifiers, hashes of something, I think fingerprinting, which was always the fallback for when the ID is, IDFA is not there, will become more popular again, was kind of on the decrease, I think, in terms of popularity. So a couple of things would happen there, but all in all, also if a client asks me these days, which kind of does happen quite frequently, what we say is, you know, keep calm, carry on. There will be solutions to still do attribution tracking in a post iOS 14 world. How exactly it will look like, I think, is, is a bit too early to say. And there are different approaches. I think it's at this point, it's not clear which one will kind of be the one that's the most promising. That's the tech side. Your example before, right, of the creative strategy you implemented for male versus female is a smart one and one that would still live on in the iOS 14 world. And I think that's some of the retooling and rethinking that markers are going to have to start to explore, right, is because IDFA isn't available and because essentially... Things like lookalike modeling basically go out the window, probably. And a lot of the modeling that's built around device, all the modeling that's built around IDFA goes out the window. We'll probably have to start thinking in more broad strokes about, okay, 
how do men versus women use my app, right? Or how do different geos interact with my app or game? And, and how does that therefore influence the messaging that I bring to these particular regions? So I tend to think that some of these more macro level parameters are going to be what we start to focus more and more on. But I'm, I'm not sure if you agree. I think that kind of brings us already into the, the land of speculation, but probably we've entered that way earlier already. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it, uh, yeah, it will change. I think user-based, as you said, user and device-based stuff will become more difficult. I also like the voices that you hear now saying that, oh yeah, like performance marketing was this romantic idea, but but thanks to data privacy, it's going away. And then five years from now, everybody's back to doing just like broad brand advertising. But let's see how that plays out. The other aspect, of course, and this is also one where I don't really have an answer yet, is the question of what Apple is trying to achieve with this. I mean, it's not new that they have realized that data privacy is a nice marketing opportunity for them. However, playing it this hardcore is also new for Apple. I think if I would have to make like a guesstimate now, I would say that what they're trying is like they, they have this problem of like having their app stores or like the app store and it only really works out as long as they really have control over it and they, and when I say control, I mean control over the revenue that's being made in the app stores. Hence, all the nice discussions, discussions that you see around in-app purchases and always oh, that going to be counted towards the 30%, blah, blah, blah. And advertising-based revenue models have always been something where, of course, Apple could not participate in from a like, revenue share perspective. So I would think that this is kind of a move to convince app developers to move over to an inner purchase or subscription-based monetization model purely because revenue advertising-based stuff is not going to be as interesting anymore in the post-IDFA world. I kind of make that shift over to revenues where they can get their 30 or like 15% from. This is what I would think. I'm not so sure if they know that this and I mean the industries that they are really hurting with this is essentially to a large degree is gaming, who is fundamentally always has been built on paid advertising done in a ROI positive way, which is not something that you see with any other like e-commerce business. Yes, in the long run, of course, but I'm always surprised to see how many businesses are doing performance marketing with a non-positive ROI. But gaming has always been fundamentally built on like growing based on ROI positive performance marketing and that will have huge problems and I mean Apple will probably understand that this like the existence of this possibility to do ROI positive performance marketing with the use of such identifier has played a huge role in creating the ecosystem to a point where it's now as in like many many users I'm not sure if they think that now is the time to really, you know, squeeze out the last piece of it and kind of get the maximum they can from kind of cutting this entire like industry branch, I would say. But yeah, definitely interesting. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I tend to agree with you. I made one hypothesis or whatever you want to call it around how we might target in the world where IDFA is less usable, for lack of better words. It is all speculation, right? Like I think so many different things about it, right? At the one hand, I'm curious, really curious to see how marketers react in the sense that if I'm a brand and Apple's done this, and let's take the gaming example, right? Where they might be impacted more severely than other industries. If I'm a game development studio, 
Do I allocate more resources to Android, for example, where the GID hasn't changed at all? And I might say yes, right? Because why would I want to drive more revenue to Apple, who is actively trying to take more of my revenue, it seems, right? While impeding my ability to actually scale up my business through growth marketing, right? So I would envision that that's got to be part of the focus, right? Is brands developing more Android apps, putting more marketing dollars behind Android, developing better customer experiences specifically for Android. I could totally be wrong, but I think that's potentially one of the first steps. And then from there, I tend to think part of this whole movement to me requires that marketers, vendors, everyone right across the board, that we kind of accept the fact that Apple doesn't really at all want us to track consumers, right, in the ecosystem. They don't want us having identifiable their IDs that we can track cross-platform, cross different publishers, etc. Part of this requires that we embrace that and develop strategies around, all right, how do we effectively attribute in a world in which we can't really track a specific consumer across different platforms, right? I think the conversations around topics like fingerprinting and using SK ad network, et cetera, they could help as band-aids and stop gaps. But in the long run, I think the focus is going to predominantly be on, all right, how do we measure incremental impact in a world where IDFA is not available to us to track? I tend to think that's where we're ultimately at kind of netting out here, which again, in my opinion, is in honesty, an improvement on the current day situation, right? Like I, I have, and most marketers, right? I think almost universally, we accept that last touch attribution is flawed, quite flawed. And it's been kind of our predominant source of truth for far too long. So in some ways, this is a good thing. It drives us to create more sophisticated and, and honestly accurate models of attributing success and performance, right? But I'm still super curious to see how this all nets out, right? At the end of the day, like, it's impossible for us to really make predictions because we don't even know what the adoption rate or the opt-out rate is going to look like, right? We all presume it's going to be very high and I tend to believe that it's going to be very high, but hey, what if it isn't as high as we thought it would be, right? That would change the conversation dramatically. But that's again, just speculation. It'd be very curious. And what I would love to do, Christian, is because you are my second guest or my first guest to ever return, we'll have you back for a third podcast. And what I would love to do is we'll have you back maybe around Q1 next year, and we'll see where we're at at that point, and we can pick up this conversation. I just wanted to say, uh, maybe we meet again at Podcast 75 or slightly later than this, and then we revisit our statements from today. <laughs> I know I will probably feel very dumb about everything I said, uh, and I think a lot of people in this space will be like, oh, what was I thinking? I was so wrong. But yeah, let's, let's chat about that. We'll get you back on, and we'll talk about what life looks like once IDFA or iOS 14 is actually rolled out. But until then, Christian, as always, it's been such an absolute pleasure having you. You're a fantastic guest, and I look forward to our future conversation. To our listeners, today's guest is Christian Eckhart, who is the co-founder and CEO of Customlytics. Christian, thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Tommy. It was a pleasure as always. I will do one, one last shameless plug in the end, if I might. Yes, please. Which is, when I started my career, I would have found this to be extremely useful, but it didn't exist. So it only took me six, seven years to actually get it out. So um, we have spent a good time writing a little booklet, actually, together with an app development company that we know, uh, friends of ours, essentially. It's called the uh, Mobile Developer Guide to the Galaxy. It's a small little booklet. It's free. 
we are it's actually like it's a bit of a charity project that we printed we handed out at conferences when that was still a thing but also a pdf version exists so if you browse our website which is customdix.com in the top right corner there's a little button saying mobile developer guide to the galaxy small little booklet you can download the pdf for free and it's a great starting point for anybody looking into a career in mobile marketing covers all the basics apps optimization tracking user acquisition retargeting so also a little mention here and there of our friends from remerge crm and a ton of other topics everything you need to know to start working in whatever business that's awesome so as a refresher customlytics.com top right of the website i'm looking at it now mobile developers guide click that and anyone can access the free pdf version of the mobile developers guide to the galaxy correct Exactly. And if you don't live somewhere on, I don't know, the end of the world, Cayman Islands or so, we would probably also ship a physical version for free if you want to have that. Because we printed, I think, something like 10,000 of them or so, but then all of a sudden, conferences were not a thing anymore. So yeah, <laughs> they're in our basement now. So if you, if you want to have a physical copy, you can also let us know. And I will try my best if it's not the end of the world to get it shipped to you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Christian. I'm going to download my copy now and I look forward to checking out all the content you guys have in there. But again, absolute pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to our, our next conversation, probably around Q1-ish. Cool? Yeah, looking forward to that. Have a good one, Tommy. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.